What's up, people? Welcome to this episode of the By the Hood podcast slash webcast, because I don't know how you're consuming this content. This is episode 19, and again, we're going to bring you a very special episode of someone who's making a difference in the community, because that's what we do here. Uh, before I introduce our guests, I want to say what's up to my brother, Corey. How are you, sir? What's going on, Joe? Oh, man, I ain't got no complaints, man. You know, fair and partly cloudy. Uh, but with that being said, before we get started, as a matter of fact, I want to... Uh, put this in the beginning of the show if you're watching this on youtube make sure you subscribe if you're listening to one of the po- through one of the podcast platforms make sure you subscribe there as well and share this content with as many people as possible so we can get these stories out here um but tonight's guest we're going to uh get to him right now he is a community activist he is the, uh, the ceo and founder of professional networking associates he's the author of the book be magnificent and this guy's doing great work in the community, so we definitely want to highlight that and talk to him about his consulting firm, as well as uh, you know, his foray into writing. So without further ado, I want to introduce Mr. Michael Rice. Mike, how are you? Hey, I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. Blessed to be here. Absolutely. That's my best, my brother. How are you? <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing pretty good, man. Thank you for your time before we get started, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, man, you're, you're, you're a force in the community here. Um, and we definitely want to highlight that because not only do you have your own consulting company, which helps others, uh, but we see the work that you do in the community. Um, and now you're a published author. So um, we want to sit on, pick your brain and talk to you about some of the things that you got going on. Um, but, but first and foremost, we just want to say thank you because we see the work that you put out here in our city, you know, so thank you for that. I appreciate that, man. Any encouragement, man, goes a long way. Absolutely, absolutely. So with that being said, what, what got you into the life of service? Because your whole life seems to be about service, but uh, what, is it, what is it about your background? Where do you come from? What school did you go to? How did you get into a life of service? You know what? If I, if I pick somewhere in my life where that was pivotal, it would have been high school, um, I was in a program. I was I went to Albany High School. Okay. I was in a program called ACE Academy for Career Education, and um, it was a program that was uh, you know sponsored by the, the, the public school system that put you in job sites and put you in job sites. So I went to different job sites, and then I went into specialization. And uh, one of the job sites that I ended up in and doing my specialization was. Um, actually, it's called Beauty Black Teen Magazine. And Black Teen Magazine was founded by the same founder of the Miss Black America pageant. Oh, okay. And we also had the Miss Black America pageant. And um, so I went and I worked for Black Teen Magazine during my senior year. And um, then I knew at that time, you know, I, was, I grew up in um, North Philly. 17 from Nango, moved up West Oak Lane, Germantown, West Oak Lane. Uh, I did a lot of running in the streets. I was kind of like that borderline, that borderline kid could go either way. I could have, I could have became a criminal, you know. Yeah, I got you. Or whatever. I, I was, I was right there. I was right there. And I knew it. I knew it. So I said, I need to take a little time. I need to give out from under my mom. And I went to the service. So I joined the Navy. And in the Navy, before I was 21 years old, I'd been to Spain, France, Italy, Japan, Korea, Singapore, Hawaii, the Philippines. So I got a real spectrum. At the same time, my leadership skills was being built up at that time. Um, during that time, when I had like, like a, uh, I think like I had like a year left, I wrote a letter to the head of the Miss Black America pageant, you know, J. Mars Anderson. And I'm telling him, I'm ready to get out. He wrote me a recommendation. And I came and I ended up working for them for like 10 years um, coming out. And Jay, who I would I gladly claim as one of my mentors, um, actually took me under his wing and he taught me the business. He really, I learned about promotion, but mostly I learned about people and, and kind of how to manage people. And also I was able to ground my, my blackness in terms of who I was as, as an African-American person, because we were exalting our women, you know, because the Miss Black America pageant is about displaying and, um, and honoring the beauty, talent, grace, you know, and intelligence mm-hmm. of African-American females. So I learned that, but while I was learning that, I was learning promotion, television production, <laughs> I was learning all that stuff. I really was into journalism, so I worked on for black, 
America magazine. Um, and that didn't, that kind of went defunct. Um, but I was able to get all the experience. Matter of fact, he started him off. I said, I want to write. And he said, oh, yeah, okay. And he said, but you, that's not where you're going to start. You're going to start. And I started by, I was going to get the paper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to get the, I was going to the lithographers. I was doing every little bit. I learned every bit of magazine production. Magazine production is different nowadays. Cause yeah. You, you, you said a lot right there that I'm picking up on. As you're talking, I'm, I'm just writing things down. Yeah. Um, the first thing being um, that program. Does that program still exist? Because I, I never heard of that program. No, oh, it, was, it, it came it was a part of something called RBS, Research for Better Schools. It was an excellent program. One day out of the month, um, one day out of the week, we were on the job site. We had a specialization. I'm talking about in the 70s, we were on computers. We were signed into the computer. The part of the program, part of it was with the school system. Another part was the program. The program taught us math and English. Mm -hmm. It was self-paced. So you actually worked by yourself. You may have been in a room with other people, but you were working by yourself. So you could excel, move as fast as you wanted to. It was a self-paced program. It's a shame so, that program's not around. That sounds like an excellent program. Right, um, it, is, it, is, it is. Another thing you said that I picked up on is the importance of mentorship. Right. So um, I see how that played a pivotal role in getting you well, to where you well, are let now. Let me say this, too. Let me say this. That most great thing about that program was my teacher was a black male. My counselors were black males. I mean, the counselors, they were all black, and they were all young. I'm telling you, they were about, I'm, you know, we're in school. All right, that's a great point. So, so that's a great point. Here's what I ask you. So in your opinion, what is the importance of representation as well as mentorship in our community? Right. What I saw was professionals, right? Professionals who cared about us, right? They cared about us. They talked to us. I mean, they were there to mentor us, to sit down and talk about get down the nitty gritty. And they were real with us. They didn't try to act like they were highfalutin because they had college degrees and master's degrees and all like that. They were like down to earth and they were concerned with, with our success and our future. And they instilled that in me in terms of that, in terms of caring about other people. Yeah, you know, it's something else you mentioned, though. You said that when you went in, you uh, didn't have, um, you started from the very bottom and worked your way up. So you kind of like paid your dues and proved yourself. Uh, you, you didn't um, feel as though anything was, that you deserved anything. You started from the very bottom. You were willing to do that. Um, right. So you didn't feel kind of entitled, like, you know, and not, not that everyone's entitled, but, you know, dealing in our communities these days, a lot of these young folks are entitled or they, they feel entitled. But you said that you swallowed your pride and said, look, I'll, I'll go, go get you coffee. But that's how you got your, your foot in the door. Yeah, but, and, and you say, I, was, felt, I didn't feel entitled, but I felt empowered. Because, like, especially under J. Morris Anderson, because he expected you to do things that you would like say, you want me to do that? He would call, you have to call uh, an executive, uh, you know, the head of uh, Nabisco for advertising. And you're calling that person, and I'm 17 years old. <laughs> I'm calling, I never did that before. Go ahead. He would push you in the water and you better sink or swim. But he would train you. And then we would learn that everybody put their pants on one leg at a time, right? And then, and that you can do it. And you know what? And then I'm, what I found, and I, what, I, what I teach nowadays is practice. Practice brings competence. Competence brings confidence. And then when you have confidence and you're practicing, you become really good. That's when that magnificence starts coming out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you also mentioned, um, you know, the service. Uh, and it's interesting in, in, in doing these talks and, and meeting different people, how a lot of uh, people who are in leadership roles uh, spent time in the military. I, I think that's interesting. That's like, a, it's very colonial. I, I, leadership. I, I, I was blessed. Now, I, now I, I didn't really think about it, but I came, my father was in the military. My brother was, in, my brother was in the Coast Guard and later in the Army. I was in the Navy. My father was in the Army, right? So I had that sort of kind of surrounded. Nobody was in really in the Navy. I mean, the Coast Guard is not the Navy, you know. That's between us and the Coast Guard, right? The yeah. Navy. But, um, uh, yeah, but being that experience right there taught me leadership because you're giving responsibilities. You're able to measure. And, and man, some of that stuff I, I've taken, I use it now because you're measured with competencies. At E1, you do certain things. At E2, at E3, and as you move up, your competencies in terms of your leadership skills expands and grows. 
So you see yourself growing and you get additional responsibility. So that was a good part of that. The other part was good was the, all the exposure. And yeah. I, I mean, let me tell you something too. Tell you something real, real special. And I will say this, I, I believe I mentioned this in the book, but people from Philadelphia, not because I'm from Philadelphia and all that, I got to, you know, special place in my heart for them, but the people, all the people in Philadelphia that I've seen outside of Philadelphia, all leaders, all leaders. Everybody was following us, right? Mm -hmm. they, wherever we go. I mean, even to the point where I was on the, I was in the, I was in, I was in the Navy and we would go to places like, like uh, St. Raphael, France, right? We never been to Marseille, France. Uh -huh. We go there and never been there before. And then because of my upbringing, I would go there. You know, we arrive at the Fleet Landing, go into town, meet people, have a great time, meet all kind of people. I didn't have that, um, I didn't have the fear of people, but I had the street sense to always be safe. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I could operate, I could sense, oh, is this danger? Right or or this person a good person whatever and that was from that's from that's seventeen year old eight you know eighteen year old street sense yeah. in terms of, of that so I did learn that and I was able to practice that I mean Spain France Italy all everywhere I went but you know you you also mentioned something um, earlier that how your perspective changed once you started to travel um, and I always find that interesting too when you talk to certain people and you talk about where they're at now versus where they come from. And how when you, you broaden your horizon, that can have an effect on you. So, for instance, I'm from Germantown. And I, I, I literally know brothers who um, went to Germantown High School. They went to Roosevelt. They date a girl from Germantown. They do their shopping in Germantown. They never left the neighborhood, let, mm -hmm. alone, let alone the city. They haven't left, <laughs> they left, they haven't left that one section. Um, and you can see the difference in their perspective versus someone who's, uh, you know, um, gotten out and specifically traveled outside the country. We call them hood rats. <laughs> and, that's not, and that's not that's not really negative because believe me believe me let me say that let me let me qualify that because i love community residents the people that don't leave that neighborhood because one of the problems that we have in our communities is that once we start adding value to ourselves we start getting education we get a good job what's the first thing we do we leave the neighborhood try to leave yeah, absolutely leave the hood Leaderhood. So we take. So now we have more value, and we take our value to another community and add value to that community, taking the value from our community. Yep. I think what happened if all the college graduates that came out of North Philly returned to North Philly? Oh my God! I, I right. think about. Right. I, I, I think. I think about that often. I think about that often. Right. I think about it all the right. time because. But you know what though? Um, and that leads to a deeper discussion because, and, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago uh, with brother uh, Akil, is that a lot of times we're taught that um, since we're kids, you want to get up here and you want to get out of the neighborhood. Like we're taught that. So we don't time, follow each other. Yeah, we so don't the, follow each other. So by the time we get to be an adult and you get through college, you've been told your entire life that, you know, to make, making it, quote unquote, making it is getting away get from your people. Yeah. So we, you know, we're taught that at a young age. Instead of like adding value to what's here, yeah. appreciating to value other people's culture more than our own. Absolutely, and we actually hate on our own culture. Right? Yeah, and, and and that is programming that has that we are subject to. I mean, I know if uh, like in in the book and in the movie about Malcolm X when he goes to prison, one of the first thing he does with his new teacher, his mentor, teaches him. Like, look at the dictionary and look at all the negative terms for black that is mm -hmm. in there, right? So you automatically, how can you help if the vocabulary that you have is negative toward your own self? Yeah. I talk about that a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I, I, I'm thinking it changes until, you know, my thing is, I'm, I'm angry. You know, I'm still angry. I'm, I'm a grown man, but I'm still angry at the lies and, the mis and how I was misled all them years. Now, now I'm taking my education in myself, I believe in self-education, I teach that. I teach one of our principles, I teach a, a manifesto. And the second part of the manifesto is acquiring knowledge, right? Absolutely. So to acquire my own knowledge, I started getting with the truth, right? Yeah. You know, there's, a, there's three things, there's, what is it? There's, there's facts, <laughs> there's the truth, and there's the opinion. And most of the time, we're dealing with people's opinion. But you, what used to be the news is now somebody's opinion. 
or what yeah. how they did it. They motivate that, and then they have different motivations. I watch watch something on TV, and they they show one person they kill a bunch of people, and they say he got mental health, right? And uh, let's see what we can do about his mental health. And I see another person say a black person do that. He's just a criminal. Listen, that's why it's called it's called his story, right? right, right exactly. exactly. <laughs> Not our story, his story. So, 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 Mike, tell us how all of these things and all these experiences have led you into the work that you're doing today. Tell us what kind of work you're doing today, and tell us how these experiences led you into this work. Hmm. Well, for first off, my first piece with the city of Philadelphia. I mean, first off, I've had. <laughs> I am not Jamaican, but I had leather jobs. I had a lot of jobs in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I worked for, I worked in a corporate, I worked for an advertising firm. I, um, I worked for the federal government for the Department of Interior National Park Service um, for a number of years um, before coming to work for the city. So I had that kind of experience of working within the different systems, which came in, really came into play later on in dealing with different types of people. Um, but then when I came for the city, I, I initially worked as, as a social worker, working in the community, investigative social worker, and that put me in people's homes. That put me in the depth of the family structure, seeing dysfunction, uh, dysfunction, and seeing a lot of challenges that um, people were facing, and being there right there with them and trying to walk through there with them. I always try to make sure that when I came to somebody, that I had resources for them. I always make sure, and I learned, I learned that people are more receptive if you come saying something positive first. If you, if you, matter of fact, not just saying, not saying something positive like fake. I'm saying, saying, saying something, looking for the positive attributes of everybody that you meet, right? And then commenting on that, validating who they are, right? When I found, when I did that, they were open up to me. I was, I dealt with a lot of angry people. I went from that to doing it on a community perspective. I worked with something called Epic Equal Partners and Change Community Stakeholder Groups for over 15 years. And let me tell you, Epic was a phenomenal community engagement, community engagement um, initiative. I actually worked for Epic also. I used right. to work for Epic. At, uh, I, I worked for the University of Penn Peace. When I, I would go into schools and, and um, actually do uh, some photography for, for Epic. So I, that program was absolutely phenomenal. Right, right. So the Epic stands for Equal Partners and Change Community Stakeholder Groups. And there were 10 of them around the city. So there was 10, 10 parts of the city, 10 okay. different groups. They all were coalitions. They had um, teachers, faith-based organizations. They had uh, the police. So you had the you know the, the key elements of the community, all the little community groups, block captains, um, town watch, all attendance meeting, and even we're to the point, and then they had uh, at least over fifty percent of the people in the room were community residents. Community residents and community, community stakeholders. Residents. Right. And when I with one of the things that I did is I taught them how to first you gotta learn how to meet with each other. So meeting facilitation or facilitating a meeting, it's not easy when you got a whole bunch of people and they're all angry and they're all frustrated. As you learn how to do that, and then they become together. And then when they start coming together, they start having productive outcomes. When they realize you can give them, giving them little projects and then them having a little success. And then they try bigger things and bigger things. And I saw so many people grow, you know, and that was one of the things, I, I, one of the things I, I talk about in my book, because I, I, I did a, um, I ran a, a training class called Elite. There's Epic Leaders and Training in Education. And it was a, a, a year program, year long program. At the end, they did a, um, did a project in the community. They got, uh, we gave them money, gave them like $1,000 to do a project in the community. So they took what they learned, because they were learning. They learned everything from project management to uh, public relations. <laughs> Um, to uh, to uh, putting together and presenting um, on their on their project, so they're able to do all this. So imagine that all across the city, communities working together. So now people, I mean, we have relationships with the police. You know, we had the PDACs, which is you know police um 
you know, the police uh, uh, meeting that they had there, we had people from that that was involved with it. We had people in the schools. We were in the schools. We were everywhere. We were every, you know what? I, I, and that's the greatest thing. And I think about promotion um, and marketing. And when you know you're doing a good job, because first you're going out there and you're telling people about what you're doing. And then next thing you know, you know, and you're asking them, you know, to come to a meeting. But when it goes to the point where they start calling you, right? When they start, when, when all of a sudden you walk into a room and, and first I was coming and say, how many people heard of Epic? You know, and maybe three or four people raised their hands to I got to the point where how many people heard of Epic? A couple people didn't raise their hands, you know, because yeah. it was that well known. The world changes. That way. Right. And that's the same thing. You know that when you are dealing with an organization and you're convincing them about your, the initiative and the things you want to do. And the difference is when you make that turn that corner is when people, first they start going and say, well, what you trying to do? What you doing? But when they turn around and say, what we doing? How we going to do this? Then you know, oh, okay, they on board. And we yeah. saw that community. So that was, that's like so very fulfilling, right? Not only building the capacity of individuals to take control of not only the community, but their families. Right, yeah. because now they have relationships with those people who are controlling the resources, right? And then recognizing that they have power because we've been, you know, we've been tricked. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let me ask you a question. Us. Yeah. Because, because, like one one of the reasons, like when I use our platform to highlight people who are actually in the in the field doing the work, and um, and I can vouch for you because I've actually seen you in, in in certain rooms where, you know, you're actually out there touching the people and talking to people and making a difference. What are some of your challenges that you face um, in your work in the community? What, what would you say are some of your biggest challenges? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's good. That's a good question. That's a good <laughs> question. I mean, like any, like any um, organization, I mean, I am blessed because I, I run a youth leadership program through the city of Philadelphia. I have a lot of leeway in that, but they fund it. So funding is always for when you're trying to do something, especially you're dealing with people, especially you're dealing with our population. Mm -hmm. Funding is always, you know, funding comes comes and goes. Every year you don't know. Every year you wonder if you're going to be refunded or not. And I know that. I work with nonprofits too. I work with over a hundred different nonprofit youth organizations, Scott program, um, supporting community outreach program. So I train them as well, and uh, and and work with them, work with them as as well. But uh, Funding is always a challenge. Um, getting participation, learning how to um, build relationships that are productive, collaborative relationships, having that. You know, sometimes you have a lot of people that um, just want to get involved for what they can get out of it, and then they step off. Or if you're not giving them money, or you're not doing something for them, and what you're really looking for is somebody who's on the same path with you. Like, okay. If I can, yeah, if I could talk to you and I could say, uh, children, you know, youth is a focus, and you're saying, well, I'm doing this, I'm teaching them math, I'm teaching them financial literacy. Okay, now we can get down because now you're doing that part of what I'm doing. And I'm teaching them leadership, right? I'm going to expose them to that, so then we can work together. But a lot of times people are, you know, in their silos and they don't work together. Okay. All right, so you know, in talking to people that do this kind of work, I know sometimes they feel like it could be a thankless job. So, what do you get some of your fulfillment uh, in, in terms of your work? What, what is it that makes you like you know really feel as though you're making a difference? Like, what are some of the things that, in your past, you say, okay, this man, this is what I should be doing? That's that's easy, man. That's 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 kind of easy. I mean, when working with youth and working with well, I'm working with people, period. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I can tell you right now, I just came from my first session this year for my new group, my 2019-2020 group of youth leaders. They just fresh, you know, I mean, some of them have been in the program for a couple of years, but I got a whole lot of new kids that are coming in there. To see them come in there, to see them participating. You know what? I mean, one of the reasons why I started youth leadership um, years ago, one of the reasons why is they had something happen on South Street. It was a flash mob, right? And they were talking about well, this, this flash mob. And I started researching flash mobs. And only in Philadelphia is flash mob something negative, right? Matter of fact, it's not even flash mob. We're talking about they get, they confuse like wolf packs. With mm -hmm. packs of people and attack people and all like that with flash mobs. But 
the whole point is, is that something happened. It was maybe 10, 15 kids. There were 1,000 kids down there, 10, 15 kids. But on the news, Philadelphia youth are out of control. <laughs> so 15 so, kids mean the whole city out of control. The whole city out of control. Matter of fact, I was so upset when the mayor, when Mayor Nutter at the time, got on, went to a church, and tried to chastise the parents. I'm like, you need to get control of your kids, right? And I, and when you think about it, if you had a child and that child was doing it, and you could have stopped that, you would have stopped that. You wouldn't allow that to happen. I mean, it, I it, it's what happens when you don't control your media. When you don't control your right. media, the narrative and, and, and pictures are painted for you. And most people believe that what they see on TV. They just do. Um, right, exactly. You know, I've heard people described a certain way through the media, and then you meet them and you say, that's not even who they are. Like, so I understand the power of media. And I've also witnessed the media twist things. Like where I was sitting there and I've seen someone give an interview. And then by the time it airs, that they chop it up. I've literally look, seen that. Yeah, it don't look I've, nothing like yeah. what, what went on in the, in the interview. Like, so once I literally saw that, I have a whole different perspective. And I understand you know the, the power of media. You know, one of the first things that I did, because one of the things that the kids got together, when I put them together and I asked them, you know, I brought kids together. And I asked them, I would, and then this is the thing. In our communities, a lot of times, people are making decisions for people in the communities, in your neighborhood, and they don't even know how I did what your neighborhood looked like. Oh, that was man. the whole idea on Epic, that people in the neighborhood who knew what the challenges were, because the same challenge that goes on, even in North Philly and in Northeast, is two different things. Mm-hmm. Right? And the way you approach it may be two different ways. But if you get the people from that neighborhood and that community, then you're going to get the right answer. The same thing is, if you put a bunch of parents in a room, you know, no, if you put a bunch of policemen in a room and you ask them what the problem is, they're going to say parents. <laughs> or they're going to say the kids, right? But when you put parents, teachers, youth, and, and policemen all in the same space, all in the same room, all of a sudden you start getting this constructive dialogue. Everybody starts yeah. telling what they, and, and, and then you get that, 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 that empathy between each other. So you start understanding each other. Then you start working together. That's the only way you're going to change what's going on in, in our communities. You start sitting down together, getting mm-hmm. with the right people, talking to each other, having that dialogue, and then doing something together, working on a project together. Because that really bonds me. That's, and that comes back from that military thing. You meet a bunch of strangers, they put you in there, they give you a mission. And in yep. that mission, you can come real super close to the people that you're with within youth leadership. Give them a mission, right? They produce a, a, a conference. They learn how to relate to other people, right? But they also sit around and come up with ideas. They talk about the challenges they face. They talk about what's going on in the community, right? I tell you, you got to be an expert on stuff, but you need to know about what's going on. You need to know that depression affects from 10 to 24 years old is one of the second leading causes of death. In your community, you need to know that mm-hmm. and be able to talk about that. But I'm saying you don't got to be an expert on that. I'll bring an expert in. I need you to talk about how it affected you. That you had a friend that attempted suicide or maybe committed suicide, and how that affected you, and how you wish it now that you know. Because one of the things about my program is the youth in the leadership program are responsible for more than themselves. They realize that they're coming up with ideas that are going to affect. They talk about the challenges for their friends. So it's not just, maybe it's not affecting you at your school. You know, we got some pretty smart kids in, in the school. And they're going to pretty good schools. You know, I got, let me just say this. It's not a program for the elite either, right? It's a program okay. for um, for youth that's seeking to get confidence and seek their power. I was talking to them today about, you want your, what do you want? You know, you want this power, the power in you? I tell them about the power of your name. I said, start saying your name with pride, right? When you mm-hmm. start to say, that's the first thing that's going to come out your mouth. You introduce yourself to somebody, say it with pride. I told somebody, name is Michael Rice. When I say that, people say, who is, who is this person, right? When these, yeah. kids, when these kids start doing that, because a lot of them are shy, are, are, are taught not to be assertive. Now, I'm not talking about aggressive, but assertive in who they are. Not to show you how, how they have pride in themselves. And then we try to instill that pride. I find that one of the, one of the main things uh, we are hit with, 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 with thousands of negative subliminal messages that are coming at us, that are telling us 
that. We're not this, we're not that. You can't do this, you can't do that. You're born on the wrong side of the tracks. You're born in the wrong neighborhood. Your parents, you don't have the right parents, right? You don't have the right vocabulary and you can't do this. But throughout history, throughout our lives, throughout our communities, there are people that's blasting and blasting through the stereotypes, overcoming that stuff. People that came from stuff and grew above them. I mean, you can look at, look at our, our activists. I, I write about a lot of uh, activists within it, like, you know, the, the Boys from United, like Alal and Mark Harrell, and mm -hmm. I talk about Natasha Harris, Broken Wings, um, uh, uh, Kenyatta Johnson, Kenyatta Johnson, somebody in, in South Philadelphia. He was a, he's a, a council person now, but um, his turned his life around. He had a gun charge at 16. That turned him around. Facing that, he started seeing. And now what I learned was there's a lot of pain and struggle in everybody's life. And you can either let it hold you back or you can use it to propel you to success. Yeah. And that's what my book is about. Okay. So, so, so talk about the book, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, actually, I'm going to get into the book because I want to ask you specific questions about the book. But before we do, I know that you also have a consulting firm, Professional Networking Associates. Um, tell our audience a little bit about your consulting firm and what do you, what do, you do through, that, uh, through that organization? Okay. One of the things that I had to do uh, uh, in my professional life is bring people together, right? Is, um, you know, create meetings create collaborations, partnerships. Um, even when I talked about Epic, Epic was all those different people had to be coming into a room, you know? So, and, you know, I was overseeing the program. So I was recruiting individuals. So I had to learn, I had to really take my networking game to the next level. I had to be, most people, when they talk about networking, they think, think one thing, they think about getting a job. They don't think about changing your community, changing, changing. they don't think about building these relationships. Um, and so, so with, with, with that, I was able to bring all these people together and I realized, you know what I, what I found out? I said, I'll be, I, 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 I attend um, dozens of meetings. And I'd be in meetings and we'd be beating our head against the ground because you're in a room full of strangers, everybody got big egos, right? And everybody thinks they're more powerful than the next person or whatever, or they got their own, everybody got their own agendas. Right, but I found I said one time I think of what it was. I went to a meeting, and I stopped by. I think I stopped by a, a, a cafe or whatever afterwards, having a drink after work, and I ran into somebody from the meeting. And we started talking, and we started having a dialogue. And we started getting to know each other, right? And then we went back to the meeting. All of a sudden, things started happening, right? Because now I turned that acquaintance into an ally, right? And I learned, I said, whoa, wait a minute. I started taking people to lunch. You know, I started meeting people for coffee. I said, I meet somebody new. I, I, I look on the thing when I find out somebody new in a position, I call them up, especially I knew they had to do something in the community. I call them up and say, look, I work in the community. I'd like to help you. Well, sit down and have lunch, you know. You know, we can have, we can have a cup of coffee, just go to Starbucks. And I found that started working. Then I found, I said, whoa, wait a minute. Let me turn around and start inviting a whole let me move more than one person at a time. So then I started doing networking events, bringing all types of individuals. And with that comes, oh man, you know the resources? Like I said, it changed my mind about people. Mm -hmm. One time I looked at people, I saw one thing, and now I, I look at people, I see resource. I see experience, expertise. I see resource, walking resource, right? And then when I was bringing together in my, in my um, with my organization, we were bringing together, you know, like hundreds of individuals, right, together, right, and they're sharing their talents, their expertise. We started doing the network, so a lot of things came out of that. Like, uh, somebody's doing publishing, somebody's doing writing, somebody's doing financial stuff, somebody's doing real estate, somebody's running businesses, you know, some of the, may, some of the many people who are doing stuff that you, you see nowadays have come through these events. Right. So how, how often do you now have these events? Um, so, well, usually it's quarterly, but I've had like three in the last three months. <laughs> okay. Like three okay. in the last three months surrounding that we're putting together the thing for the book. You know, um, we combine it with the book tour. And so my organization sponsors it. That's why I bring out the people. 
because I have a, a, a newsletter called The Connector, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, my website for professional network associates is www.theconnectednetwork.com. And you can go there and you can find out about workshops that we have and you can find out about events that are coming up and other people's events. But also you can find out about like personal coaching. If you want somebody to personally coach you, you know, you can do that. I do like free assessments in terms of where you at, especially if you're looking at to trying to expand in terms of networking or doing community engagement type work, you need to get into a field, into an industry, and start breaking how you go about, about that. How do you like, you know, go to a networking event? Do you have an idea? Do you, is this somebody that you want to meet, right? That you have research, that you Google, that you LinkedIn, and you looked them up, and you researched them, and you found that they're part of this organization that meets at this time, and you go there for that? for that reason, to meet them? Do you go to networking events for that purpose? Or are you randomly going there hoping that you'll meet somebody? Or are you looking at what different things that the, the Chamber of Commerce, you know, all what they're doing? I'm saying start doing strategic networking. I create something for you called a SNAP, strategic networking action plan, right? Okay. Goals, and you connect them up with your networking. Okay, so that, that's, that's very interesting. So you're saying that, um, you know, um, this organization, Professional Networking Associates, helps you bring people together. And people basically are working collaboratively now. Um, but also, um, another gem that I got from there is when you go to a networking event, be strategic about it. Just don't go to, you know, just this, this, this around the room introducing yourself. But it's, have, have an, uh, be strategic. An agenda. Yeah, have literally, an agenda. literally have an agenda. That's yeah. right. Have an agenda. You got to, you know, you got to circulate to percolate. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, the, the, the networking is powerful if you know what you're doing. Um, you can right, exactly. That way. Exactly. That's it. My one of my one of my my my, my one of my allies, um, Earl Harvey, publisher of Black Professional News. One thing he says. He says, um, "Don't be a card collector, right? Be a, be a uh, a card connector." <laughs> No, that's true. Cause I, that's something I need to work on too. Cause it's like you know the the follow up is is what's important, right? Right. right. And and the idea of just hey, just go get some coffee because you never know as you go through your journey in life, regardless of whatever it is you're doing, um, those connections can 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 pay off significantly. Now, um, before we get you out of here, we have to talk about your book. You are now a published author. Uh, your book is called Be Magnificent. Um, I saw it available on Amazon. Um. Tell the people what was the inspiration behind your book and, and kind of what the book is about. I kind of shared that um, the inspiration is actually pain. <laughs> pain. Interesting. Pain. Inter That's an interesting answer. The inspiration behind putting this book together is pain and struggle. Okay. Pain and struggle. You know, uh, one time I was doing a workshop and as part of an icebreaker, we had somebody, um, we said, uh, Tell us about your day. How your how was your day or whatever? And the person started off saying, "Oh well, I just came from the hospital. My husband's in the hospital. I think he had a stroke." That was the first person. Then the next person said, "Oh, I had a fire. I lost everything in the fire." Right? Then the next person was talking about, "Well, my health was that. I had a heart attack, and I'm I'm struggling with that." And then and it went in there, and I was like, "Oh my God, this is supposed to be the icebreaker that's supposed to break everybody up." Yeah. It was super depressing. <laughs> But what I found that out of 25 people in that room, they all had issues. They all had pain. They all were going through struggle. But guess what? They was in a workshop trying to make themselves better, right? That was the inspiration. That's the inspiration right there. I mean, I talk about it in the book, right? Seeing those individuals in spite of what was coming at them. Nah, they not, you know what? I, you know what? And, and this is my philosophy. And the philosophy of the book is you either going into a storm coming out of a storm or in the midst of a storm at any given time in your life. So instead of trying to get out the rain, learn how to dance in the rain. And once you're able to do that, then, see, it's not about, life ain't about throwing punches as much as it is taking a punch. So you can take a punch, right? And you go down and then get back up. That's what this book is about, about getting up. About, you know, what do they, what do they say? Uh, a setback is just a setup to a comeback. And if you come back, and you can, if you can look up, you can get up, right? And if you can get up, you can win, you know? And the thing about coming back and all like that, that's what makes champions. That's what champions is all about. And what I found is there are hundreds, maybe thousands of champions in the city of Philadelphia, right? And also is that a lot of this is just managing, managing the pain, 
not, not managing pain, I said managing your thoughts. Because your thoughts can go negative, and it's easy to go negative. And you know what? If you start being negative, there are a whole bunch of people that join with you and be negative. When you start saying something negative, do that. Go in the room and say something negative. All people are joining in, you know, because people like pity parties, right? Yeah. But at the same time, that's not, you want the person, the people that you want is the one say, oh, no, 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 no. We're not trying to feed into that. We're going to talk about something positive. They start saying positive. No, they say, yeah, but this is what you can do in order to overcome that. Those are the kind of individuals you want. And those are the kind of individuals that you should be seeking. Because the secret, one of the secrets to um, elevating your status is surrounding yourself with positive people who are doing constructive things. Because they're not, not going to allow you to go negative, right? They're going to be, they're going to be like, you know, you can get people and be your, like, your compliance coach, right? Make your people, your, it could be your friends, it could be, I don't know, it could be family members. But somebody's going to say, nah. Then when you start whining, <laughs> right? When you start whining, they say, ah, nah, 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 nah. We ain't doing that. We ain't built like that. We built to overcome stuff, you know? Yeah. And when you are able to do that, and when you have that going on, so within the book, I give techniques for, um, I live with that from, you are what you think, right? I start off with vision, because you must have vision, right? In order to move to the point where you see into the future what you want to have. And you start right there. And then you fuel that fuel with, with your purpose, passion, and potential, you know? And once you realize that, you know, everybody is born, everybody has potential, and everybody has a purpose, right? It's, over, it's up to you to energize that, to recognize that. Your, 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 your potential actually says that you could be, I would say you could be anything that you put your mind together that you're supposed to be. Now, I won't say you could be anything you want to be because you ain't supposed to be that. Right. I'll say that like this. I mean, and, 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 and to illustrate the point, I'm saying like, you know what? If you took an apple seed, right? What kind of potential does the apple seed have? Potential for another apple? Oh no, or apple tree, or maybe an orchard, <laughs> a forest, right? That one seed has that potential to create trees full of apples and orchards and all like that. That's you. That's that's uh, that's us. That's that's our children. That's our youth. That's the baby that's born, right? Little baby Barack, <laughs> right? With the potential to become president of the United States, right? You know, or the mayor, or state senator, or whatever, or a doctor, or a lawyer. That potential is in there. It's just that how you cultivate that, how you cultivate that, and then you should have to you have to navigate the environment, right? But you got to surround yourself with people. Hopefully, you're born with parents that can do that for you, mm -hmm. can help you with that. But if you're not, you got to go out and find the person. Find some people or find the person that's going to motivate you. You know what? In our lives, we might have a, a mentor. I'll tell you about my, my one mentor. He had a big impact. But I had many mentors. Mm -hmm. I talk about I was, when I, I went to Temple University, right? Well, was Temple there, all those aisles out there. Um, and Arnold Boyd. Rest in peace. He impacted. He's the one that got me into doing programming. I walked up to him, and, that, and that's the thing. I took the initiative. I seen him doing, doing some kind of program. I walked to him. I said, "Man, I like to do that. I've done that, you know." And you know, and this is coming from the experience. I was already working at the pageant. I was working at the pageant. And he got me. He gave me his office. Next, you know, I had my own campus organization. I was on the program board. I was a special events um, chair. Um, but I learned so much through that experience. And being in a diversified environment, you had to do voting and all that. I learned so much in, 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 in those experiences. But, you know. Yeah, you know what? The, the common thread between you and a lot of the guests that we've had on here is that you took action. Right. <laughs> that's funny you just said that. I was, that was my next comment. I was about to say, that's actually, yeah. this is episode 19. That's 19 out of 19. People and that talk about taking action. <laughs> yeah. When you said the one we, thing you did was take the initiative and that led you to one of your lifelong mentors because you <laughs> listen, took the initiative. Like every single guest that we've had on here has talking about uh, taking action and taking initiative. Like that's the thing about successful people. So right. like if you're looking for a common thread, you know, for the people who are watching this or listening to this, everybody you listen to takes initiative and takes action. So, you know, for our listeners, for our for our uh, people who are watching it, take action. 
You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like as Jim say, don't be a mutumbo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm about to mutumbo. Everybody's always about to do something. Mike, listen, <laughs> uh, before we get you out of here, one thing I want to ask you. So you talked about your book. You talked about the work you do in the community. Um, what is a book that you've read that has inspired you throughout your journey in life? Something that you've read and, and it stuck with you? Because we like to give uh, recommendations for our audience about several, you know, different books to read. What would you say is a book? You can give me a couple books or one book, whatever you think, but something that along the um, way that you've read and you say, man, I took something from this. Well, uh, post-traumatic slave syndrome. Okay. Right? right. Got to read that. Got to read that. And, and, and let me say, say something on that because I spent a whole chapter on, on under Be Magnificent and I talk about learned helplessness. And it's something that we, we suffer from. Now, uh, there's two things, two things. Let me give you two examples real quick. One of the first example is when they're raising elephants, right? When they're little babies, they tie uh, a chain around their legs, right? And give them about six feet. And, um, you know, and until they go to adult. When they go to adult, they don't even put chains on them. They put a rope around them, rope they could break. That, you know, this, this three-ton elephant could break. But because of conditioning, because they had that chain around them for so long, so now when they could actually break free, they don't even try, right? They don't even try. They feel as though they feel their limitations. They also did an experiment with, um, and unfortunately, I think it was with puppies, and they put them in a cage, and they electrified the cage, and they had the puppies in there, and they electrified one part of the cage, and the puppies jumped to the other side, and they electrified that part, and they kept doing it until the puppies jumped side to side, until the puppy got frustrated. Then after a while of doing this to these puppies, they would put a charge on it, the puppy wouldn't get in, and he would just take the pain, right? That's called learned helplessness. That is what we face in our communities. When we are frustrated, we're trying to do things, we're trying to acquire wealth, we're trying to Built your families, and then there's so many things that within the within the government, within the system, just systemic racism and, and and bigotry and all like that, uh, keeping you from there and, and and infusing in your mind that you can't do certain things. Now, don't get me wrong, racism, bigotry, sexism is no excuse. No. That's just a barrier. That's just something, an adversity. Adversity can be your friend. It's just a challenge that you have to meet. Right? And when you start deciding that, yeah, I'm built like that. I'm a warrior. <laughs> you know, I'm a mental warrior, right? I'm a magnificent warrior, and I'm out here. So I'm looking for, you know, warriors don't walk around. People just come up there and, and, and engage them, right? So as a warrior, obstacles are going to come towards you, right? But you are prepared. You are ready. You are built. We come from people, you know, um, my last piece here, man, what I teach the kids is this, is when the colonists were over in Africa and they were seeking captives to enslave, they didn't look for the people, the handicapped, they didn't look for the mentally ill or the mentally retarded or whatever, right? They look for the best of the best, right? And then they captured them and they put them on a the ship. And when they put them on the ship and they had to face uh, rats and, and disease and, and, and torture and urinating and, and dying over, this, over the transatlantic thing, right? Only the strongest survived, right? Only to begin three, 400 years of oppression in the United States to go through slavery and torture, and racism, and then Jim Crow and all like this. Only the best survived. So when you turn around, I look at the youth and I look at the people and I look at you and all like that. I know we are not only survivors, but we're the best of the survivors. Mm -hmm. our, we, our lineage says who we are. And then when you recognize that, you recognize, yeah, I am a survivor. I'm built for this. I'm built to be magnificent, you know? And then you start looking at your inner magnificent and start tapping that, right? And it may be painful, but the more painful it is, the better. Because now you're using that as fuel to move you forward. Nice. And the post-traumatic slave syndrome, that's uh, Dr. Joy DeGray. I'll put that, I'll put that in the description um, as well as the link to, uh, to take a look at everything that you're doing. Um, mm -hmm. But before we get out of here, I just want to say again, thank you for your time. And also, I just want to say um, myself, I definitely appreciate the work that you do in the community. It's needed. 
And, um, you know, and I think this is important to, to highlight your work because I see all the time when people say, oh, no one cares unless this, Look, people are fighting every day in the community. And a lot of times they're not highlighted. So you're one of the brothers that are out there in the front lines with the people. You're not just behind the screen. You're not just on, you're not a Facebook revolutionary. You're actually out there with the people. So um, I just want to say, I appreciate you. I definitely do appreciate you, brother. Hey, man, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you, you and Corey establishing this platform. For the absolutely out there, and we absolutely. need more platforms. We need more absolutely inner communication among ourselves and building ourselves up. You know, absolutely. we don't got to be on a big, big stage. We need the little stage, fill crowd with the little stages, and getting the information up among ourselves and sharing that information. Yeah. Absolutely. So before we got there, Corey, any last words you got before we got there, brother? Yeah, you know, for most people, you know, doing community work is a is a chore. And to see somebody who, obviously, if, if you listen to this ahead, is enjoys the work, it's, it's fulfilling and refreshing. And, you know, Mike, I've been in rooms, like you said, you've been in rooms, Mike. He, he's also inspired me. You know, uh, he's part of my journey of why this is happening, why the By the Hood podcast is here. Um, you know, for most people, you know, for people who don't know, Mike is my cousin. He's my old, you know, my older cousin. And he helped put me on this journey. And so I want to say thank you to him while we're in this public forum. So thanks, cuz. All right. All right. Definitely. I appreciate you, man. And like I said, I appreciate what you're doing. Continue to do it. Continue to me. We need everybody. Absolutely. Everybody do and everybody ain't got to do the same thing. You're doing what y'all do, the things that y'all doing with, with By the Hood. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Changing the whole mindset of our young people. Mm -hmm. You know what? Absolutely. The greatest joy that I would say is I'm blessed because, see, I just left 30 young people. And guess what? They all represent my legacy. <laughs> my legacy. Yep. You know, everything. And I tell them that. I say, y'all my legacy. You go out here, whatever you do, I'm taking credit for it for the next 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if Mr. Mike, if Mr. Mike sell a million copies of his book and, and, and goes to Hollywood, you can say, yeah, I studied with Mr. Mike. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. And to our listeners out there, don't forget, make sure that you share this content. Um, make sure you subscribe to all of our platforms. And uh, just keep, keep helping us get this word out there of the brothers and sisters who are out here doing the great work. Yeah. You know? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I, let me put it, put it out there because I didn't. My website um, for the book is www.michaelricespeaks.com. It's www.michaelricespeaks.com. Absolutely, and I'll put I'll put both of your websites in the description box so that'll be out there so the people can get in contact with you. Um, but as we always say, it's not about how much money you make; it's how much you keep. Game elevates, man, and we'll see you guys next time. Peace.